Hey everybody, welcome to Shane's Brilliant Podcast. It's great to be here with you, talking to you. I love talking to all my Shaniacs. How are you all getting on this week? Hope you're well, hope you're rested, hope you had a fantastic Valentine's Day. Hope you had uh, some sort of sexual encounter with somebody you love, or even somebody you hate, um, and you, you know, yeah, we all know that no matter what, consensual sex is brilliant even if it's with someone you despise anyway that didn't mean to start the fucking podcast by talking about having sex with someone you hate but there we go this is just the way it has to be (laughs) try to be romantic talk about valentine's day within three seconds i'm talking about hate sex and uh, I apologize for that. If there's any children listening to the room, make sure they're out of the room when this podcast is on. Make sure you're fucking strapped in to the chair. Make sure your balls are in an underpants. Make sure your fucking tits are in a bra because otherwise they could be knocked out by how fucking great and brilliant this podcast is. This is, after all, Shane's brilliant podcast. My name is Shane Clifford and welcome to the show. This is Ireland's number one podcast, the biggest podcast in the world, ladies and gentlemen. And, uh, you know, Neil Young, big fan of this podcast. I'll tell you, he sent me a letter. He said, Shane, you are, you know, with your wisdom and your... This one thing I'll say about Neil Young. You should change his name to Neil Old. Oh, come on. No, we can't start off with that terrible joke. But when he took all his... um, songs off Spotify in protest of uh, Joe Rogan, one of my colleagues in the podcast game. He removed all these songs. All of the Joe Rogan fans on Twitter, thousands of them, millions of them, were making the same joke over and over again. Hey man, like, he took the music off uh, Spotify to try and stick one to Joe. Huh, never even heard of this guy. And looking at a picture of him, he don't look like a Neil Young to me. He looks more like a Neil Old. 7,000 versions of that joke. Yo, Neil Young, more like Neil Old. Am I right, guys? And are you guaranteed that in America somewhere, somehow, last week in an open mic situation, comedy, people are sitting around and there's 20, 21-year-old men <laughs> going up and saying this, hey, you guys, where you from, Miami? Hey, look at you, you got a face like a toaster. Anyway, listen, you know this guy, Neil Young? Hey, more like Neil Yold, am I right, guys? Um, but anyway, listen, I hope you did have a fantastic Valentine's Day, the day of love. And uh, welcome aboard the Shane Train Destination Listoon Varna, County Clare. We're keeping it local this week because this is the week of love. And Listoon Varna. Well, before I get into the Listoon Varna thing, because I was reading about Listoon Varna. But um, I have two important things to tell you. First of all, come and see my show in um, Smock Alley next week, uh, next Thursday. There's a few tickets left. So if you are thinking of coming... But we're like, I'll do it. You know, I'll fucking, there's plenty of fucking time, Mary. Uh, Jim, you better be getting those fucking tickets. 
There's plenty of fucking time for that, Mary. Plenty. I'll get him the fucking last minute. Well, just to, so you won't be disappointed, you know, because I know you'd be heartbroken. Your life would be not worth living. There will be multiple. Do you know, like when Take That split up and there were multiple suicides. That's what's, <laughs> that's what's going to happen when my show is sold out and people can't get tickets. So don't despair. Get them now. And if you are in Tralee or the surrounding areas, why not buy tickets to my show in Stream Satira on the 1st of April, April Fool's Day. And I'll tell you the truth about that show is there are 700,000 tickets left. And, uh, you know, it's hard to fill a 700,000 room. I don't know what I was thinking. Booking a room with 700,000 people. The Shem Satira Chirley County Kerry. So if you want to buy tickets for that, you know, you might as well wait till I let. It's not going <laughs> to. This is what you're not. <laughs> you're not supposed to do this when you're trying to fucking sell tickets. You know what, lads? It's not going to sell out. You might as well wait, wait till the last. <laughs> Don't plan it. Don't put it into your diary. If you want to come down, you know, it's not going to sell out. There's going to be billions of seats left. So uh, anyway, I have to do that. What else happened this weekend? I didn't really do much. Do- doing writing, a lot of writing, boring writing. I w- got my hair cut and the fucker. What you, I mean, it's a great service. The guy just, I love when they whisper in my ears, eyebrows. And I just go, yeah. And it's amazing what they do. They just shave them with a fucking razor. And in my eye, I look like fucking, my head is 10 pounds lighter from all the hair. Like, I've got big, hairy eyebrows. It's uh, it's, it's something that I've had to live with all my life. And all you eye, big, eye, bushy eyebrow guys out there know what it is. Because you can't go around complaining about your bushy eyebrows. People say, hey, I got real problems. I got children to feed. I got a dog that has asthma. One of my babies has rabies and scabies. And you're complaining about your eyebrows. Nobody cares. Anyway, uh, what else happened? I gashed my nose. You know how I gashed my nose? I was sitting on my chair. All right? In the morning. Laptop. On my lap. Where you're supposed to keep it. Okay, I did everything right. And I put my fucking feet up on the table. Barefoot. Big mistake. Because I got a psychotic, evil, sort of evil cat in my house called Georgie, right? And she's this fucking torty. And you know, they talk about torties and it's all cute. Oh, they've got tortitude. That means, like, that's what their attitude, tortitude, because it rhymes with fortitude, I suppose. It doesn't really make sense if you think about it for more than four seconds. But if you look them up, oh, yeah, they've got, you know, torties like Georgie. They all have attitude because she's a torty cat, a tortoise shell. All right. They've got tortitude. That's what they say. It's an American thing, of course. Anything like that, that's a tortitude, attitude. It comes from America. And it, so it makes me cringe. But I have to say, this fucking cat does have tortitude. Because I was sitting there, fucking minding my own business, playing Wordle on my laptop, all right, getting it in fucking two or something, because I'm a genius. <laughs> in fact, tonight I only got it in five. I played it, I think it's, it's half twelve when I'm recording this, on the night before you're listening to it. And it fucking, I got it in five. 
and I'm disappointed in myself. I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight. Kira's just going to be hearing me in my sleep going, fucking five. Why didn't I put the A first? Or whatever. Anyway, this cat, Georgie, bit my, started biting my feet. Biting foot by, uh, bit my foot. So, of course, natural reaction to that. I lifted my fucking knees up, smashed the fucking laptop into my nose. Blood gushing all over the place. Fucking Kira screaming, ah, your nose! Your nose! And fucking blood pouring down my face. Next, there's Georgie just sitting on the fucking chair, licking her fucking paw as if nothing happened. As if she didn't just fucking try and break. I have to go for a rhinoplasty. And I'm thinking maybe that Kurt Zuma was right. <laughs> maybe I should call him to come over and deal with her. No, I'm such a sap. I'm like, yeah, you bit my feet, broke my nose, break my heart. But you know what? You're such a cute little cat. What a sap. And I fucking hate myself for talking to my cat like that. Oh, you little baby. If I mean, if if me at 15 could see myself as a grown man, could see what I had become, I didn't mount much. You know, I thought I was going to be a rock star millionaire with 10 wives and, you know, without actually working any, doing any effort to get there. But I ended up as a man with a blood pouring down his face, crying, telling his cat that he loves him. And that is a sad, uh, you know, betrayal of my youthful dreams. But uh, that's it. I got my fucking hair cut and gashed my nose. I mean, not very much on this week. A lot of writing, as I said. But uh, the Shane Train destination, Listoon, Varna, County Clare. Remember the song? Listoon, 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 Varna. Listoon, Listoon. Fucking Christy Moore. What's your take on Christy Moore, listener? What do you think of him? I mean, I've kind of gone through my life without ever really having much to listen to him. But every time I have listened to him, I've, I've, I've said, please turn that off, Jimmy. You know, usually my friend Jimmy has it on, but... Like, I had an uncle who obviously came from Tralee. Not obviously, but he came from Tralee. And he moved to London back in the swinging 80s. And he's been over there. He's got a fucking London accent and stuff now, right? And he came back in 2000 and let's say fucking 10-ish. And was like, I'm going to fucking come back, right? What I'm going to fucking do is open a fucking pub in Skibbereen. And that's what he did. Came back with the English wife, opened a pub in Skibbereen and it lasted about a year. And they said, fuck that. Because they said, and I mean, I'm sure there was other reasons, but they told me that one of the main reasons that they had to move back to England was because every fucking prick, their words, not mine, every prick in Skibbereen was coming in, putting Christy Moore on the jukebox and they couldn't take it anymore. Hey, they couldn't take it anymore. They should have been called. They should have called him Christy Less. Hey, <laughs> talking about Neil Old. Hey, you heard this Christy Moore? You should have called him Christy Less. You know what I mean? Am I right, guys? Um, but anyway, he had that song about Listoon Verna. And uh, because it was, we all know that that's where the matchmaking festival is on. And I was reading about, I didn't know there was a music festival on in Listoon Verna. Uh, from like the 60s up until 1983. And then the 1983 festival, this is what I read, was so 
if you're like from outside of Ireland, Listoon Varna is a, t- a village in County Clare on the west coast. And it's a small village, right? And they have a matchmaking festival there. But they had this music festival and it went so fucking chaotically bad in 1983. And you never hear about this. The, the townspeople had a vote at the end of it. And they voted to never, ever allow a festival in the town ever again. That was the vote, like for eternity. <laughs> because there was fucking people just having sex in people's gardens and stuff. Like, I read the actual like reports of it. And there was a woman complained. She woke up one morning during the festival in Listoon Verna. Some, you know, old, or not old, middle-aged Irish lady from Clare with fucking curlers in her hair and her dressing gown on, she looked out the window and in her garden, in a sleeping bag, was two hippies, a man and a woman having sex. And, you know, we've all encountered in our lives hippies in our garden having sex. And it's never a good... (laughs) It's never something that you want to see. So I understand why they banned the festival forever. If there's anything that's going to make you ban a music festival for all eternity from your town... It is hippies having carnal relations in your front garden. And also that year in Listoon Verna for a trad traditional Irish music festival, eight people died, which must be a record for a traditional music festival. You know what I mean? You never think of trad being a deadly genre of music, but there we go. Um, but now, because it's uh, Halloween, or Halloween, what the fuck, Shane, you forgot to take your medicine. Uh, it was Valentine's Day. It got me, that's why I started reading about Listoon Verna, because Listoon Verna is mostly famous for the matchmaking festival. Now, I don't know if you fucking posh Dublin Protestants had matchmaking. You probably didn't, did you? You probably had, you know, even back in the old days before phones were invented, you probably were so rich you still had Tinder. Ye old Tinder or something. Dirty Protestant Tinder. Fucking Dublin, man. I swear to God, I thought I saw that name again the last day of a town. Borisanossary. What kind of a fuck? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Imagine live. Where do you live? Borisanossary. I thought... The na- There's a name of a village down in Kerry called Ballygamboon. I thought that was fucking weird. Ballygamboon. But there's a town up here in the west or the east part of the country in the Protestant land, the Pale. And it's called Boris in Ossery. Boris in Ossery. I can't get my fucking head around it. Anyway, what a matchmaker is, right, is a fucking... This is what they used to do. So in the old days... Bef- when before Tinder and shit, a matchmaker would be he would live in a pub, basically, and a man would come into him who was like sixty and he has a load of land uh in a farm. He's a lot of and he has no kids and he's like, Oh Jesus, I've no fucking kids. the government are gonna take my land. And that was the biggest fear of any man was with the government would take their land. So they'd have to marry a younger lady, all right? I don't know why he was always a younger lady. <laughs> That's just the way it worked out. And they met a matchmaker, and the matchmaker went away, and he found a suitable young lady for the farmer. And you know what he got paid in? A bottle of whiskey. That's what the fucking matchmaker used to get paid in. 
You know what I mean? This is a guy that you are putting the trust in to find the woman that you love for the rest of your life that's going to sire your heirs, all right? Are the this is the man that you're putting your daughter's fate in. She's going to match her, your daughter because you know basically the daughter probably didn't have any fucking input you know this is 1950s ireland but my man got paid in a bottle of whiskey so you're basically given an alcoholic because <laughs> any man that goes hey do you want do you want 100 euros or a bottle of whiskey no give me the whiskey but here is 100 you can buy like six bottles of whiskey no give me the whiskey that's what we fucking agreed so I don't know. I mean, it seems like a strange situation to pay someone in a bottle of whiskey to set you up with your life partner. But that's what it was called. And they would meet in the pub and they would hash out all the agreements. You know, like the the family would be like, oh, no, she has to have three children before she's 30 or the marriage is off and they have to pay two thousand pounds and her, you know, ankles better be on the right side of her foot. And all that kind of stuff. And once they agreed, right, once the matchmaker hashed it out with him, the groom would meet his future bride, right, for the first time. Imagine living in those times. Your family have fucking hashed out a contract and you haven't even met the woman you're going to have to marry and or the man you're going to have to marry. And then the bride's family would cook a goose in honor of the engagement. And I'm reading this here. And this custom was called, all right, what do you think the custom is called? The custom of the family cooking a goose in honor of the engagement. I'll give you five seconds. What do you think? So the bride's family would cook a goose in honor of the engagement. What do you think that custom was called? This is what it was called. It was called eating the goose. (laughs) Eating the goose. That's what they fucking call it. They didn't come up with any fucking fancy Dan names. You know what I mean? They say, hey, what are we doing? We're eating a goose. What are we calling the custom? Eating the goose. All right? We're not going to fuck. We don't deal in metaphors down here. <laughs> we don't deal with your fancy metaphors or similes. All right? If we're eating a goose, that's what we're going to call it. Eating a goose. Okay? First we ate the goose. And then we ride the wife. (laughs) And riding the wife isn't actually riding the wife. You're actually having sex with her. Okay, we're not riding her. Listen, I know we don't deal assimilates with the goose. That's eating the goose. But riding the wife is a simile. You're not riding around on her back like a horse. Okay, Charlie, get off her. Okay? (laughs) Okay, Charlie, get off her, man. We ate the goose. When I told you to ride the wife, that's not what I meant. But I suppose that custom seems fucking weird to us now because you choose, mostly you choose your wife or husband or... Well, I would say, this is what I believe, that up until late 80s, mid 90s maybe, that that was sort of the way of, in a way, you were matched. Lots of people had to marry people that they didn't necessarily love. You know what I mean? Like... My parents probably didn't love each other. I mean, they got fucking divorced. But at the start, they probably didn't either because they were just two youngsters out in a 
a night out and got a bit hot under the collar. You know what I mean? And you know what led to, I don't want to discuss my parents having carnal relations resulting in my conception, but you can picture what happened yourself, right? I don't want to paint a picture in your mind of my parents conceiving me. But the point is, and I would say a lot of people my age and a little bit older, maybe a little bit younger, were in that, their parents were in that situation, you know? And I would say that, isn't that kind of the same as the matchmaking a little bit? Because they had to marry then, because he couldn't have a single mother. That would be, that's worse than a priest beating the shit out of a fucking boy for not being able to write with his left hand. A mother having had premarital sex was worse in the eyes of Irish society than a fucking 60-year-old pedophile priest beating your arse with a hurley because you couldn't write. And, you know, I mean, should we... A lot of people say, make Ireland great again. Go back to the old Ireland. And I, I must say, I agree. Who doesn't like getting bait in the back with a Harley by a priest. I miss the good old days. But um, what I'm saying is, a lot of our parents had to marry, not out of love, but out of necessity. And of course, this is the Valentine's Day episode. So, you know, that's why I'm being so romantic. There is actually a matchmaking festival in Tralee um, called the Den Paddy Andy Festival because... That was the name of the famous matchmaker that lived in Tralee back in the day. Dan Paddy Andy. And what a fantastic... Don't know anything about him. All I know is that I love the name Dan Paddy Andy. <laughs> you don't get names like that anymore. All the names now are like, you know, Tarragon and fucking Pissog And fucking... What's that name? Fucking... I don't know. Can. Like from Star Trek. But back in the old days, they'd just fucking give him any old name. Dan Paddy Andy. I mean, there were the good <laughs> traditional names of Ireland. Not one name, but fucking three names. Dan Paddy Andy. Dan Paddy Andy O'Sullivan. I mean, that is... I don't care what you did. I don't care who you are. I think you are the greatest person that ever lived if your name is Dan Paddy Andy O'Sullivan. I want to call my son after him, if I have one. Dan Paddy Andy Jr., but um, I looked up online to see was there any actual matchmakers around now. And there is one. Ireland's last traditional matchmaker. All right. So if any of you people are out there and you're, lo- you're lonely, you've got a dowry or whatever. I don't understand that stuff. You've got land and you're looking for a, a, someone to sire and, a, a, you know, a child. Then I would suggest heading over there to fucking Listoon Varn and County Clare, ringing up a fella called Willie Daly. Uh, he says, "My name is Willie Daly, and I'm a third generational, third generation traditional Irish match matchmaker. I can't fucking read a gift I inherited from my father and his father before him. I live on a small farm with ponies and donkeys. I don't know why you had to tell us that. You know, <laughs> is that necessary?" Part of being a traditional, authentic max or uh, matchmaker that you live on a farm with ponies and donkeys. You know why would you put that in the blurb? That'd be like me putting in my fucking blurb. Yeah, Shane started comedy in two thousand and seventeen. 
He started in Killarney and he has appeared in such things as Whelan's, Vicar Street, the Vodafone Comedy Festival. He has a cat. He's also been to England and the... You know what I mean? It doesn't make a difference. You're not meant to put irrelevant information on your CV. Be like, oh, I am proficient in JavaScript, uh, Python, and uh, HTML. I like sausages. And I'm also <laughs> good at Photoshop. You know, there's no need to put in the thing about the ponies. Anyway, listen, he goes on. When you contact me, I will provide a simple matchmaking form for you to fill in and return to me. I will then place it in my 160-year-old Lucky Love matchmaking book. Now, this is where he kind of loses me. I'm with him. I was kind of with him on the ponies and the donkeys, but here he goes on. He goes... Now, this ancient matchmaking book, which has been passed down through the generations to me, has special romantic powers. It is considered to be a lucky love book. That's what it says here. The man has a lucky love book. And he goes, if you touch it with one hand and close your eyes for seven seconds, envisaging love, you will likely fall in love within six months. Okay, if you touch it with both hands while closing your eyes for seven seconds, envisaging love, you will likely be married within six to nine months. Or, if you are already married and you close your eyes and hold the book in both hands, envisaging love, whether you've been married for five years or 45 years, you will likely recreate the first two weeks of your honeymoon. That's what he's saying. If if you hold this book with your eyes closed and for seven seconds, you're going to be riding the fucking husband or the wife like it was your honeymoon. That's what he's saying there. It's kind of a dirty book, really. It gives you sexual powers. <laughs> That's what this man in uh, Liston Varna, Willie uh, Daly, is uh, talking about. So if you want to get in touch with him to... Uh, you know, maybe kickstart your marriage. Uh, maybe you want to go eat in the goose. Maybe you want to clo- just hold a lucky love book. Get in touch with him. I went on a matchmaker. I held his special book. Six months later. A new wife I took We ate in the goose We ate in the goose We ate in the goose So, because it was Valentine's week, I did uh, some research on another love story, all right? And this is a very famous love story that I've heard of before. You might have too, but if you haven't, you're in for a little treat. It's a bit of a disgusting love story, so if you have any people in the room, or if you don't want to hear something that's actually genuinely disgusting, turn off now. If you want to keep listening then good for you. 
that reminds me of this old comedian. I can't remember who it was, but like this guy in the 40s, right? And they're like vaudeville. Vaudeville. Hello, my baby. And um, he would have two books. He'd have a red book and a blue book. And he'd hold up the red book and he goes, you can decide to, to the audience. Hey, right. You can have the red book, which is all my clean jokes. Or you can have the blue book, which is all my dirty jokes. It's up to you. So then they'd all show, of course, they're not going to ask for the clean fucking jokes, are they? I don't think it ever happened to him once. Everyone would go, blue. And that's where blue jokes comes from. See, this isn't all just talking about Mickeys and fucking fannies on this program, is it? You learn something as well. All right, so this is the story of a guy called Carol Tanzler. All right, and uh, this is back in the 30s in America. So 100 years ago almost, right? And this guy, he was a German. His name was Carl Tanzler. And he said when he was young, his he used to have visions of the true love of his life when he was a child. And it was a dark-haired sort of Latino woman. Okay? So anyway, he grew up and he moved to America and he started working in a hospital. He told him he was a doctor. And there's been no, nobody's ever found out if he was a doctor. You know the way some fellas fake being a doctor? Well, that's what he did. And he met this woman called Helen uh, Milagro de Hoyos. And she was a Cuban-American woman. And she was brought to the hospital. And he immediately recognized her as the woman of, from his dreams. I mean, a literal woman from my dreams walked in. And she got uh, tuberculosis, okay, which was a very, very common worldwide disease back then. My nan, when she was young, she got TB, tuberculosis, and she had her lung removed, one of her lungs, like I think it was her left lung. And this is the most fucking stupid thing I've ever heard. I don't, I, I don't want to call my dead nan stupid. <laughs> but then she did a very stupid thing. All right. I'm sorry, Nan. I mean, I don't believe in heaven, but I still feel bad about calling my... <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter. She's dead, but I still feel bad. But anyway, I'm sticking up my middle finger at the sky going, fuck you, Nan, you stupid dead woman. <laughs> no, but anyway, she got TB, right? And she was in the hospital. It truly got her lung removed and she started smoking in the hospital. That's when she started smoking. She met the lady in that bed next to her was smoking. When you have to wonder, I mean, I think this was like the 50s or something. That's how lax health and security was. That in a TB fucking ward, a lung disease ward, there was just people walking around smoking fags. So my nan started smoking. Like, it's never a good time to start smoking. But it's probably the worst time ever to start smoking when you just had your lung removed. You know, that's like eating a Big Mac uh, in the middle of a massive heart attack or something. And I remember when she was old, you know, she smoked in all her life. She smoked fucking Super Kings, about two, twenty, about 40 or plus of them a day. And I remember her with a big giant oxygen tank the size of a dishwasher and louder than an opera singer drilling a jackhammer into a washing machine full of pennies and that's fucking loud and the tubes were going into her nose and she was sitting there smoking a fucking fag 
You know what I mean? Reminds me of my friend's dad, who was trying to give up fags, and he went on to patches, the nicotine patches. And my friend was sitting watching TV with him one day while he was, you know, on the patches. And they were watching Judge Judy. And he saw his dad put roll up his sleeve, take off the patch, light up a fag, smoke it, and put the patch back on. <laughs> Which I think defeats the fucking purpose of the patch. You know what I mean? And that same, my friend's dad, right? One time my friend came down, his dad was out the night before, drinking. And he came home late at night, tried to make food or something. My friend came downstairs, went into the kitchen, went uh, to put on the kettle to make a cup of coffee in the morning. And when he looked into the kettle, there was fucking two hot dogs in there. (laughs) That's how his dad was trying to cook hot dogs. By boiling them in the kettle. And then one other time, me and my friend were playing guitar. This when we were about 15. I think we were smoking hash like cool fucking dudes. And we were listening to Radiohead like cool dudes, man. Smoking hash, listening to Radiohead like many a cool child of my generation. And uh, his dad was painting the stairs. And his dad did, must have forgotten we were there. Because his dad was painting the stairs and all of a sudden he started going like this, singing a song to himself. But it was like a song that he made up. And the song was this. Vaseline, Vaseline, Vaseline. And of course, we were on, you know, stoned on bad hash. And we found it the funniest fucking thing we've ever heard. His dad just randomly singing Vaseline. (laughs) Most fellas would be randomly singing a song, you know, for some unrequited love or something. Mary, my sweet. But he was going Vaseline. And we never found out why. I mean, you can use your imagination. I don't know. Vaseline. So anyway, back to this story, right? Um, so this fucking girl, she had uh, TB. And he was pretended to be a doctor. He said, I'll cure you. And he goes, by the way, I love you as well. And she didn't love him back. So she died from TB because he wasn't a real doctor. He was showering her with gifts and all that stuff. And she was like, not into it. Anyway, she died. He built her a crypt, put her body in it and used to visit it every night. All right. The crypt and sing songs to it. Now, if I'm her family, I'm going, what the fuck is going on with this cunt going to my daughter's grave singing songs? That's what I'm going to be asking. But they didn't seem to do that. Eventually, anyway, you know where this is going. Four years after she died, my man breaks into the crypt, steals her body, brings it home. Now, you can imagine what a body is like after four years. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't cut my toenails for six months. And, and, and you know, and that's disgusting. So imagine what a body is like after, <laughs> after four years. You know what I mean? If I don't wash my, my fucking armpits for a week, they smell like a disused horse condom. I don't know if that would smell. But anyway, uh, so he took her body back to his house and he put her bones together with wire from his piano. He put eyeballs in her eyes, glass ones. He gave her fake hair. And he lived with her for, he passed her Paris over her rotting flesh. And he lived with her in his house, in his bed for seven fucking years. And, you know, she'd a bit of her fucking hand would fall off and he'd stick that in with a wire 
and then her ear would fall off and he'd fix that on with a bit of fucking PVC glue. And, I mean, listen, we know what he was doing with the corpse. There's no need to go into that. But do you know how he was caught? He was caught because he was started dancing with the corpse in front of a window. Open windows in his house. Now, listen, if you have a corpse in your possession, this listen to this. If you learn anything from this podcast, if you have a corpse in your possession that you shouldn't have, I mean, really, you shouldn't have a corpse. But if you do ha- find yourself with a corpse and you get the feeling that you want to dance with it, don't do it near a fucking window. That's my message to you, listener. Never dance with a corpse. <laughs> by a fucking open window people will see keep that in your bathroom in the bedroom in the, the fucking basement out of the eyes of prying neighbours out of the sight of prying neighbours keep your corpse related transpirings in the fucking shed okay anyway that's how he got caught so the cops came his family your one's family came I mean imagine finding that scene that would be horrible and you know, they brought him to court. But, you know, he got off. They were like, ah, uh, do you know what they said? And all the papers and stuff, they were like, ah, uh, sure, it must have been true love. <laughs> Swear to God. They were like, ah, sure, he must have, fuck, I mean, imagine loving someone so much you fucking steal their corpse. That's love. That was the attitude back then. I mean, my man was, you know what he was doing with the corpse. I mean, he wasn't just dancing with it. But the general consensus is that this was just true love. Asher, he fucking loved her. And you couldn't get away with that these days. Not with the PC police. (laughs) You couldn't fucking get away with, with all these woke fuckers on Twitter. You know what I mean? You couldn't get away with digging up the corpse of your unrequited love. Keeping her in your house for seven years. And, you know, doing her bones up. With fucking chicken, with piano wire. You couldn't get away with keeping a corpse in your bed these days, is what I'm saying. Um, And that's all thanks to the fucking PC police. And I was thinking, is it disgusting or is it romantic? What do you think? (laughs) I mean, it's disgusting. But I had an idea. When, if me, when me and Kira get married and if I die, I want to be exhumed. I want to be fucking stuffed. I want to be put on the couch where I normally am and I want fucking Kit Kats put into my mouth and I want to be treated as if I'm alive and no other man will ever come into this house. (laughs) No other man will ever. I'll tell you this though, if I did die, I would want Kira to, to ride again. I'd say, hey, ride again. Ride on, Kira. You know what I mean? I'll be dead a long time. And I'll meet you in heaven. I actually read about a woman who uh, was dying, all right? And she was on her deathbed. She was like 80 or something. And she was talking to her husband, but it was her her first husband had died. She'd remarried. And she was talking to her her second husband on her deathbed. And let's say the second husband's name is Jim and the first husband's name is Peter. And she goes to Jim. She goes, Jim, I have to tell you that when I go to heaven... I'm going to be going off with Peter. <laughs> I'm sorry. Imagine hearing that. I mean, I suppose. What do you do then? If you go up to heaven, you got your first husband and your second husband. That's a conundrum. Um. So this is what I say to Kira. If I die 
and you want to carry on with another lover, then that's fine. As long as in heaven, you are mine for all eternity. That's all I ask. Anyway, get to the romantic bit of this Carl Tanzler story. He was, uh, he didn't go to jail or anything. He went home and you know what he did at home? Because he couldn't be, they, they had to bury the body in an unmarked grave so he couldn't find it. And so what they did, what he did was he made, he got like a mannequin and he fashioned a mannequin version of the girl. That's, I mean, he was bad on this girl, wasn't he? I mean, nothing was going to stop him. Do you know what he needed now? You know, when your girlfriend breaks up with you or your friend's girlfriend breaks up with you and men don't know what to say to each other in that situation. Like I've had been broken up to and I've been heartbroken. And I've gone to my male friends, you know, my girlfriend left me. And they don't know what to do. So what do we do? Go for pints. That's all you can do in that situation. Women, I I think they talk about it. They say what a bastard he is. You're too good for him. He's a prick. You know, um, there's plenty more fish in the sea. They talk it over. They hug. They kiss. Men, we just go, oh, do you want to go for pints? <laughs> and you don't, you barely talk about what happened. You just drink pints. But what he needed was somebody to go for pints with, I think. And say, hey, man, get over her for fuck's sake. Carl Tanzler Loved a woman that was dead So he took her from the graveyard and he put her in his bed. Uh, all right, so I'm going to probably hit the hay. It's fucking late. And I'm tired. And um, I mean, if you're saying, Shane, why is there stupid bad songs in the podcast this week? Do you know why there is? Because I fucking felt like it. And I decided, you know what? I'm going to fucking put in bad songs. Kill some time. Because the songs I just made, I just made them up uh, two seconds before recording them. So I felt like doing it. You probably hated it. I, it's all right. Who cares? Nothing matters. You know, I used to think uh, I had a like an existential breakdown when I was in my mid-twenties, like a real bad one. When I was like, oh my God, uh, 25 years have gone so fast. The rest of the world, you know, it's, it's going to be dead. I'm going to be dead. I'm going to be fucking dead, man. Soon. And that really bothered me because I hadn't done anything with my life. And so I used to ponder, what is life about? What does it mean? Why are we here on this rock for no fucking reason? It seems like in pain and love and joy and hurt and living and dying. What's that all about? Why am I here? Why are you here? And you know what? I never fucking figured it out. And then I realized recently How the fuck am I going to figure it out? Plato. Socrates. uh, Fucking Albert Einstein. Wittgenstein. Nietzsche. All the great minds of history. Never could figure it out. The only one that ever kind of come close to figuring it out was Ronan Keating when he said life is a roller coaster. Goes up and it goes down. And that's pretty much all you can, you know, and if the only one that can figure it out is Ronan Keating, then what fucking chance do I have? I'm no Ronan Keating. You know, he's an intellectual powerhouse. 
Is that even a word? A tower house? I don't know. So I can't... So my... Anyway, my point is, I stopped trying to figure out the meaning of life because... You know, if these cunts can't do it, you know, what chance do I have with my little fucking pea brain? So, um, what's that got to do with what I was saying? Oh, yeah. So if I want to put fucking songs <laughs> in my podcast for one episode, then I'll fucking do it because it doesn't matter anyway. All right. But anyway, come and see me next um, uh, Thursday in Smock Alley if you want to. There won't be songs. And I'll talk to you during the week. All the best. God love you. And may... Uh, oh, sign up to the Patreon if you want to support the podcast. And tell your friends if they might like some weird stuff like this. And uh, that's it, really. I hope you have a great week. And uh, a great time in your life. Peace and love. Cheers, nice one. Thanks. And hobnob. <laughs>